Um, all right, well, I'm going to jump into the Bible. Are you ready to hear the Word of God today? Um, absolutely. You can get your Bibles and turn with me, ironically, to Luke chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible or you can't find Luke chapter 1, don't be embarrassed. We'll put it on the screen for you. Um, but Luke chapter 1, and uh, this was one of those messages that I, um, I didn't really plan for. Um, in that when, when, when I was kind of making a plan, I was planning to be in a series, uh, actually starting last weekend and everything kind of got changed around. And so, uh, actually two weekends ago. And, uh, and, and so, uh, but I like, I like divine interruptions. I, I sometimes like when God changes some things around and moves some things around. And so, um, for, for me, this wasn't really planned, but it's so cool. Um, the way God works, because a couple weeks ago at our at our birthday weekend, it was actually in the five p.m. and we kind of carried it over all weekend. But as we were as we were kind of concluding the service in the five p.m., I really felt God's presence. Uh, it was really a tangible way, but but in a way that that was a little bit not normal, if that makes sense. I mean, I think God's presence is always with us when we gather. I think God's. By the way, uh, I'm in two uh, two weeks, I'm starting a series called Here, There, and Everywhere, which is all about being aware of the presence of God and how it changes us. And so, um, but anyways, we we were in this moment, and it's like the Holy Spirit was just in this moment with us, and. Um, and, and I just felt like God whispered something. And it's kind of crazy, but I felt like God whispered, hey, will Pathway say yes to what I want to do? And that may strike you as strange. It doesn't really always strike me as strange when God asks those type of questions. And, and I kind of just verbalized it in the 5 p.m. and then tried to carry it over all weekend just to say, hey, Pathway, can we just say yes to what God wants to do, uh, even if we don't understand it and it doesn't all make sense? And, and you guys kind of participated in that. And so when I was studying and praying, I just felt like we needed to take a weekend and talk about that because I think there's something significant that God wants to do, right? Does that make sense? Um, and so I, I want you to, I, in fact, I was reminded um, in that moment, you kind of have flashbacks of things, you know, when, when God, I felt like whispered to me, will pathway say yes to what I want to do. I, I, was, I was kind of thinking back to a conversation I had several years ago uh, with a friend of mine at the time was on staff at Gateway and now he does some church consulting, but um, we were talking on the phone and I, I can't remember if it was the first Easter we had three worship experiences or if we were adding a fourth worship experience um, I don't, I th maybe it was the third one. At, at the time, I think that our Easter attendance, our largest Easter attendance, like the year before, had been around 600 and something people. Uh, so that's several years ago, obviously. But, um, but I was talking to him and I said, I, I think we're going to add another worship experience. Um, I don't know if we'll fill it up, but I just think it's time to add one. And, and um, he said to me, he said, you know, sometimes your church has to tell God they're ready to grow. And, and it just struck me because I think about a lot of times my own personal consecration and I'm always wanting to say yes to God and that's not always the easiest thing to do. But I never really thought about a church. And he said, you know, your church has to say, okay, we're ready to take in new people. We're ready to serve more. We're ready to embrace more. We're ready to love more. We're ready to reach out more. And, and he said, so sometimes just offering that service is a great way for your church to say, 
hey, we're ready for more, God. You, you send us more. We'll love them. We'll take care of them. We'll serve them. We'll make them our family. And, and I just kind of felt all of that in that moment. So I just kind of want to talk about it. I don't know that you call this like a great preaching message or anything like that. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, really, because <laughs> I never do. But, um, but ironically, I came to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 being the Christmas story. I was in Sam's the other day. Uh, thank God for Sam's. You can get everything at Sam's. And they tell you it's a discount. That makes it feel better. <laughs> Um, but I was in Sam's, um, the other day and, um, if, if you're thinking, I don't know what Sam's is, it's kind of like Costco. So anyways, but anyways, it's Sam's and, um, they had all the Christmas decorations out. I'm like, what's wrong with these Satanists? And, uh, no, we should celebrate Christmas every day. And so, uh, ironically, I'm going to read the birth announcement of Jesus right in the straight up front of end of September, front of October. And we're going to talk about this. So in Luke chapter one, probably the most familiar and famous passage of scripture, um, is, uh, this story of Gabriel coming to Mary and telling her, Hey, um, good news. Uh, you're going to have a baby. And it's going to be the savior of the world. And so in, uh, if you'll jump in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. Um, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? Because I'm a virgin. Verse 35, and the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth, this was before Facebook, so he had to tell her. Because, I mean, it's six, months, six month old news, right? I mean, now we get six second news. But um, what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Uh, people used to say she was barren because she and Zechariah were barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. I want to talk about yes power. I want to talk about yes power. That's just simply what I called I thought about all the things I could call this message, check yes or no, great George Strait song, by the way, check yes or no, um, King George. Anyways, um, I thought about that, I, I thought about just say yes, um, I thought about all the things that I, I could say, I just, I just, but I, I kind of drilled in on this idea that when it comes to God, there is power in your obedience, there is power in your yes. In fact, it's your yes, it's your consecration, it's your obedience, it's your surrender that really unlocks and releases the power of God. You, you have the power to say yes 
to God. And really that's what I see in this passage is the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, hey, you've got this phenomenal opportunity. And that's really what it was. Like I'm presenting you with this opportunity that you can, can birth. Think about this, the greatest move of God that the world will ever see. Think about that. Because this is not just going to be a baby. This is going to be the savior of the world. This is going to be the one who redeems all of mankind. I don't know that there's an, a, a better opportunity. I don't know there's a greater opportunity for any human to actually participate or partner with God in, right? I mean, this is like an incredible opportunity. Like, hey, I'm going to save the world. I'd like to do it through you. Like, that's incredible to me. And in a way, I'm not saying we're Mary and that we're going to give birth to Jesus, obviously. But in a way, that's the way sometimes I view the church. Like, God wants to change the world. Might as well be through us. Why not sign up for that? Like, we're going to be here anyway, right? Like, we're already here, you know. Might as well, like, take over the world or something since we're here. Could, you know. So anyways, so I just think sometimes God offers these opportunities. And so this is what I saw is this incredible divine opportunity. And, and in the original, like the original version I grew up in, New King James, or my grandfather always read the Christmas story out of the King James. My dad now recites the Christmas story out of the King James when we gather as a family. And so I'm used to what Mary said in that version, which is let it be to me. Great Beatles song too, by the way. But, but let it be... <laughs> Let it be to me a court. And, and what you need to understand is that wasn't like a lackadaisical, just kind of like, okay, if you insist, but it was kind of emphatic, like, okay, bring it on. Like I'm signing up for it. I'm in it to win it. You know what I'm saying? And so to me, that's always how I want to respond when God presents me with an opportunity. It's like, I'm, I'm your boy. Like I'm your guy, you know? And so, um, so three things that I saw here about opportunities that God gives us, and I think these are good to note. Number one, opportunities follow faithfulness. Opportunities follow faithfulness. Um, what I love is that in verse 30, the angel said to her, you have found favor with God. It's past tense. You have found favor. Like, you, 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 I'm giving you the opportunity because of the way you've been living. Because of the things you've been doing. But because of how, how you have been serving and how you have been leading, how you have been giving, how you have been praying. And, and I think sometimes we miss that, that God is always trying to bring good into our life. And God has opportunities for us. And God is just looking, listen to me very carefully, God's not looking for gifted people. God's looking for faithful people. He has all the gifts in the world, right? God, God, listen, listen, God, God can take a shepherd boy and make him a mighty king. He doesn't need your giftedness. He just needs you while you're out watching the sheep to be very faithful over the sheep. Like sometimes, sometimes I'm a little bit worried about my generation and even the generations after me that, that we want the opportunity, we want, we want to be faithful after we've been granted the opportunity. Like there's this verse sometimes I like to share in Genesis chapter 49, verse 27. I love it. It's talking about Benjamin. It says, Benjamin is as ravenous as a wolf. I like that. 
Lord, let that be said a pathway. Man, they're as ravenous as a wolf, man. Some of you are like, I don't know. I don't think I want to sign up for that. That doesn't sound like, do we need shots for that? What do you... No, he's hungry, right? He's hungry. Like sin will make you, sin sometimes will make you thirsty. Like if you understand colloquial phrases now, thirsty means you're thirsting like people dress inappropriately and someone says they're thirsty, right? That's not, that's not good. But Benjamin was hungry, hungry for God. You know what I'm saying? And so it says he was, he was as rapid as says, we're just going to have fun. We're going to turn every service into what it's like at 5 p.m. on a Sunday. Anyways, right, so, some of you are like, I've never been, and there's a reason. Anyways, but it says he's as ravenous as a wolf. Look at this. He's as ravenous as a wolf. Watch this. Watch the order. In the morning, everybody say morning, he devours his prey. In the evening, everybody say evening, he divides the plunder. See, it would be entitlement to think you could divide plunder before you devour prey. Because sometimes people are like, hashtag on my grind. It's 11 o'clock. You're on your mom's sofa eating Cheerios. That's not on your grind. That is not on your grind, right? The rest of the world was on their grind at 6 a.m., right? So here's what I'm saying, though. Here's what I'm saying with God. He's looking for faithful people. He's looking for people to wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to go get this day. God, I'm going to be used by you. God, I'm going to be a light. I'm going to shine. I'm going to be some salt. I'm going to be a light in the darkness. God, I'm going to go out and be faithful with what you put in my hands. I'm going to be faithful with what you called me to do. God, whether anybody sees it, whether anybody acknowledges it, whether I get a trophy for it, God, I'm just going to show up and do what you've asked me to do. And God looks for those people and says, hey, you got my favor now because you got my attention now. Are you with me? Here, here's the great thing. And it's something we got to think about. God loves everybody the same, but he doesn't favor everybody the same. And that's just, that's just truth. That's, but but here's, the great, here's the great news. You can grow in favor. Like you can really grow in favor. Two people in the Bible that God talks about that they, or the Bible talks about, it's really the Holy Spirit, I guess, that talks about how they grew in favor. Number one, Samuel grew in favor, right? But number two, Jesus grew in favor. I I like that the Bible tells us Samuel grew in favor because we say, well, Jesus grew in favor. Well, he's Jesus, right? And sometimes we forget that he was completely man. Like he was completely, complete humanity and deity, and that's kind of crazy, but he became a man. Because if he didn't become a man, then the resurrection doesn't mean anything for us. Right? So, so, but it's good that we're reminded Samuel also grew in favor. But the Bible says this in Luke chapter 2, um, verse 52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom, look at this, wisdom and stature and favor. Wisdom and stature and favor. Like there's two things before he grew in favor. I think that's significant. Because what wisdom means is Jesus grew in knowledge and understanding. What stature means is he grew in maturity. And so, and so here's what Jesus did that we can do that causes you to grow in favor with God. You apply what you have to get to where God wants you to be. You don't ask God to put you there. You take what God has given you today and you apply it today to get there. Because remember, faithfulness then opportunity. And God's saying, if you won't be faithful in little, why would I need to give you much? If you won't be faithful with the job you have, why would I need to promote you? 
If you won't be faithful with, with the relationships that you have, why would I bring Brent's Charming along? Right? If you won't be faithful with the money you have, why would I give you more? Like I would be working against your better, the, the betterment of yourself at that point. And so God is saying, hey, here's how, hey, look, look, here's what you do. Take what, this, by the way, we have a staff code that we live by. And one of the things we talk about is excellence. And excellence is our commitment to maximize whatever we have for the greatest return. Because excellence, like when we, if some of you remember when we were in the hotel, excellence looked different than excellence here. In fact, excellence in the hotel looked pretty crappy. <laughs> but we were doing the best we could with what we had, right? And, and now we're here. It's like, no, we're going to keep maximizing every dollar. We're going to keep maximizing all of our technology. We're keep maximizing everything that we have because excellence in the next facility is going to be far beyond what excellence is here. But how are we going to get there? By maximizing and being faithful with what we've got. Are you with me? Like we'll do 12 services if that's what it takes in this building to get to the next building. No, I won't preach them all. <laughs> oh man, I'm having so much fun. But do you see, we steward what we have. This is how we grow in favor because God is wanting to bring opportunities to us. And that's why we need to be faithful. So I saw that with, with Mary. Number one, opportunity follows faithfulness. This is one I saw that we're going to love to talk about. Opportunity creates inconvenience. Like, wouldn't it be great if God would just move in a way that didn't really bother us at all? We didn't have to change anything. We didn't have to, you know, you know what I'm saying? Wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome. It just never happens. See, what I love about the text is this, the narrative is kind of just, I feel like nonchalantly giving us some information. It's like, and so there was this girl named Mary, you know, probably 14, 15 years old at this time uh, in, in this marriage, arranged marriage to Joseph, right? And, and, and so it just says, and she was engaged to be married. So the angel appeared to her and said, you're gonna have a baby. That doesn't seem like that works well. Like God, maybe you weren't paying attention to what's going on in this lady's life. Can I just tell you that, that most of the time, divine breakthrough, is a, it starts as a divine interruption. Amen. Amen. Most of the time, God's greatest opportunities come as interruptions in our life. Right? And so here she was. I mean, bless her heart. She went from bridal shower to baby shower. Right? I mean, this is, I mean, you know, it would, be, it would be nice if God would just kind of, kind of, fall into the flow of our life a little bit, but it, it doesn't seem like that's what happens. Most of the time, there's this divine interruption where we have an opportunity to fall in the flow of what he wants to do. And so it's really sometimes looks like an inconvenient. You know what I found because I weigh this because sometimes I like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I love change. Let's change something. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to change. I like that. And, and sometimes I battle back because they say, well, you either like change or you don't like change. You know what I came to? We like the change we get to choose. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth for me. It's probably the truth for you. I'm okay with the change I get to choose. It's the change I didn't get to choose that I'm not okay with. But sometimes God doesn't ask me. Well, he kind of does. But sometimes God wants to change something that I may have not been thinking about changing. Right? <laughs> Can I just tell you, God usually, when God wants to move, He doesn't choose what's convenient 
for you. He chooses what's critical for what he wants to do. And then we get to decide what, what we're going to do with that. See, um, it may not be convenient, but I love this. It will be consequential. And here's what I mean by that. It may look like the interruption's inconvenient for us, but what God does is always going to be amazing to us. Like, it, you know, Mary's sitting here. She's on Pinterest. She's pinning that dress. You know what I'm saying? She never thought about a dress with a kangaroo pouch, you know, kind of thing, right? She never thought about that. She's pinning that dress, right? She's probably watching that show on, on TV. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh, uh-oh, I'm a baby. Well, that changes the dress. So now she's, you know, it, it, but, but here's the thing, but she birthed the greatest move of God the earth has ever seen. It wasn't convenient, but it was consequential. In fact, Jesus, uh, Peter said this, Jesus was talking, he was talking about finances and Peter in Matthew 19 verse 27 kind of does one of those, hey, hold up a minute. Because look what he said. He said, hey, we've left everything and followed you. In other words, I mean, you got to think about Peter's story. He had to leave his business, walk away from even being in business with his family and all this kind of stuff. And, and he said, hey, we've lost everything to, to follow you. Like, this is not convenient, Jesus. And here's what Jesus says in verse 29. He says, hey, if you've been inconvenienced for the kingdom, verse 29, he says this, if you've left houses or land, throw up verse 29. Next verse. That's 27. There it is. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers, in other words, if you've been inconvenienced, watch this, you're gonna receive a hundredfold and eternal life. Here's what he says is, if you'll let me inconvenience you for my kingdom, I'm gonna bless and multiply and increase and use you in ways that you never imagined. I'm gonna satisfy your soul. I'm gonna give you life that never runs out. That's what he says. Like, let me inconvenience you, but it's gonna be consequential. I'm gonna take care of you. You're gonna to get to see God do amazing things. Here's the third thing I see about opportunity is opportunity requires our, co our cooperation. Like a lot of times we don't think about that. Um, but but it kind of strikes me as odd because nothing really happens until Mary says yes. Like, like it's all a great plan until Mary says yes. And in fact, when you see it in verse 38, Mary just says, hey, let it be. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Right? Y'all want to sing along. Any Beatles fans? Beatles say, yeah! So I don't know if that's very holy, but... Um, I don't know, good song. But, but here's what's amazing to me, is God's looking for people to, to move through. In fact, 2 Chronicles 16 actually tells us that. It tells us that God, the eyes of the Lord are actually roaming throughout the whole earth, looking for people he, who are faithful to him so he can strengthen them. Looking for people who are committed to him so, so he can build them up and use them. I mean, God is actually looking for people to move through. Um, and, and what's amazing to me is the fact that, that God, in a way, is actually permission-seeking when it comes to our lives. Like, God is powerful enough to make us do really anything. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, trust me, God can but while he has that power, he also has this principle that he will not violate your will. He's going to let you pick because God knows love has to be chosen every time. Otherwise, it's not love at all.
and God's loving and he's already chosen love on his part towards us and he wants us to reciprocate that love and to reciprocate that surrender and say, God, we love you. We want you to use us. But it's amazing to me that God's actually permission seeking. You see, uh, God is gonna give you a calling and he's gonna let you determine what you do with it. Just like Mary. Hey, here's this great move of God I wanna do. I wanna move through you in this powerful way. Now, what do you say? And she said, let it be. See, I've found that God will either move through you or move around you and you get to pick. Hashtag tweetable. That's all I'm saying. God, 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 will, God will either move through you or he will move around you, but God will not violate your will. I mean, the guy at the pool of Bethesda, you remember this story? Jesus comes up to this guy who's at a pool and, and there was this urban legend, if you will, that, that an angel would stir the water and if you were the first one in, then you could be made well. And, and so they, you know, they would hang out on the porches around the pool of Bethesda and, and Jesus comes up to this, picks this guy out and says, hey, you want to be made well? And, and it's kind of interesting. What a cra- you're thinking, what a crazy question, right? Like, do you want, well, I'm, I'm here, aren't I? Like I'm on the porch by the pool waiting for the angel to stir the water. But then Jesus, he asked what seems to be an obvious question, but then we find out what the problem was because it's in the guy's response. You want to be made well? Here's what he says. Yeah, but there's nobody to help me get in the pool. Oh, okay. Now we're to the heart of the issue because you'd rather have an excuse than wholeness. Because as long as you stay broken, you got something to blame. And then we find out a great truth as long as you, because he's basically saying, I'd love to be made well, but it's somebody else's fault. I know nobody ever say this. Yeah, I know I've got issues, but it's my ex-husband's fault. Yeah, I know I have a financial crisis, but it's because my boss won't give me a raise. As long as you want to blame, you can bet on staying the same. <laughs> I'm just having this is so much fun today. I don't know. We're just having church. But do you see what I'm saying? But but God is permission. He goes up to the guy and he says, "Hey," the, and and the guy kind of has like Jesus is like, "Hey, you may want to think about all your excuses and really think about your answer." But do you want to be made well? I mean, it's the same picture we see in Revelation three. Jesus said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You get to choose whether you open the door or not." Because here's what he says, I'm really looking for people to partner with. Think about this. You want to you talk about honor and value. The God of the universe wants to partner with you to change the course of humanity. I mean, maybe you should just write that down and let that be your thought for the week. The God of the universe wants to partner with you, not me. He wants to partner with you. Not even us collectively. He wants to partner with you individually to change the course of human history. Paul told the Philippians this. He said, hey, it's actually God who wants to work in and through you to do his will because he's got this power, but he's also got this principle. And while God is all powerful, his principle is I only work through my people. And so God is looking for people. He's got his eyes out roaming the whole earth, looking for people saying, I can work through that person. I think I can work through that person. I can work through that person, right? You may be a prostitute called Rahab, but that's okay. You can be in the lineage of Jesus, right? And you know, I mean, it's like, Do you see what I'm saying? He's just looking for people to work through. 
here's, here's my thought then, then we got to say yes. If God's offering us an opportunity. You got to say yes. But then I thought about, well, what does it mean to say yes? Kind of a great thought because we think it just means yes to say yes. But, but I went a little deeper. You want to go a little deeper on what it means to say yes? Here's the first thing. Saying yes means I have to say no. If I want to say yes. In fact, think about this. My, my yes power is, is really determined and sustained by my no power. Because you can't say yes without needing to say no. I remember one time um, uh, there was a friend of mine. And um, it's always a friend, isn't it? I'm just asking for a friend. But anyways, no, there was a friend of mine. And, um, and, and it was this it's kind of a crazy month. And I just made a commitment in my heart that I'm going to spend more time with my kids individually and more time with Julie. And I kind of made this commitment that I'm, I'm going to be focused where I need to be focused because sometimes, crazy enough, ministry can be distracting from things that are really important. Just like your job, just like your life, it's the same thing. And, and so I just made this commitment and started putting this plan in place. And then all of a sudden in this month, I got all these crazy invitations. Like, like things you would lo- like, hey, you want to go play golf with a PGA professional? Like stuff you're like, I've never gotten opportunities like this before. Like you want to come do this? You want to go do this? I just started saying no to all of them because they were all cool things, but they, they didn't get me where I wanted to be. And I remember I had a friend saying, you're turning that down. You're turning that down. They want you to do this. You're turning that down. I said, yeah, because all of these things, I need to say, I need to say no to these things because I want to say yes to these things. And and if I'm going to maintain my yes, then it's going to be sustained and maintained by my no. And so since these things are good things, but they're ancillary, they don't have anything to do with my ultimate goals and purposes in life. They're great and they're honorable and I appreciate them. And I very humbly, you know, said I can't make it to all of them. But I said, in the end, I'm trying to say yes to something. And to say yes to something, I have to say no to some things because my yes power really hinges on on my no power, right? And I thought about Mary and I thought about all the things she had to say no to, to say yes, and it's kind of crazy, kind of cool. Number one, she had to say no to conventionality. Conventionality. She's like, you know, hey, my marriage isn't going to look like everybody else's wedding day. Right? My dress is not going to look like that dress. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, she kind of had to say, she had to say no. Um, you know, sometimes to break free, we got to break out of the mold. Sometimes the greatest bondage we can have is just trying to be like everybody else. When God never called you to be like everybody else, he just called you to be like you. And when you can, when you can embrace that, hey, my life isn't going to look like their life. Like all of a sudden, you come to a new level of freedom. And, and think about this, it wasn't conventional. Her family probably thought, what did you do? Right? I mean, what did you do? Why did you say yes? <laughs> probably they didn't believe her. They're probably, yeah, we had a cousin that was pregnant by the Holy Spirit too. (laughs) Whatever you want to say, Mary. Enjoy that (laughs) Kool-Aid. But but they were probably saying, you know, Mary may have had some family saying, this is not what our plan for you looked like. Now, could we talk about that just a little bit? Because sometimes we get caught up trying to fit into the mold of other people's expectations for us. 
when God wants to do something completely different in and through our lives. So she had to say no to conventionality. She had to say, listen, this would make it alive. She had to say no to comfort. I don't know if you've ever been around a pregnant person. <laughs> like there's a glow and it's warm and it's sweet until about month six. And you get to month six, month seven, it's like, get this thing out of me. You know, it's like something from the alien. You know, where'd my wife go? She was so sweet. You know, and, and um, they can't, you know, like I remember with Julie, she could get, now Julie didn't act like that at all. But she did have that moment where she was like, okay, I'm ready. Like, it's kind of been fun, but I'm ready to deliver the baby. Um, but, um, you know, I remember, I remember like with like ankles swelling and then, you know, her trying to get comfortable at night. We had to buy a special pillow just so she could try to get some rest because you're worn out by the time the baby gets here from carrying the baby. Then they grow up and leave you. Anyways, but anyways. <laughs> but, but she had to say no, no to being comfortable. And, and you know what I found? You know what I found? Is, is you can have comfort or conquest, but you can't have both. Like you, you can, you're going to have to value one above the other. You're going to value comfort or you're going to value conquest, value being used, value letting God move in our life. You're going to pick one, right? And it's going to determine where the other one goes. In fact, there was a scribe who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. This is Matthew uh, chapter nine. So I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus just looked at him and said, hey, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. There's no holiday in express around here. In other words, like, you can follow me. I think that's great. You want to follow me. You just need to know it's not going to be comfortable. She had to say, she had to say no to comfort. Then she had to say no to control because she didn't know what was going to happen or how it was going to happen or what was going to happen next. Like, this is just a conversation with an angel. You know, you have those every day. But, you know, she was like, like coffee with Gabriel. Hey, Gabe. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but. But all this happens, and then she doesn't know, like, is it going to be right now? Is it going to be later? I don't know how this is going to work out. Like, this angel could be telling me something that's going to happen in five years. going to be telling me something that's going to happen in five minutes. And then what's this actually going to look like? And here's, what she, here's the only thing Mary knew. I'm not going to be in control of anything that happens after this, really. Because here's what I found about God. He will move. He just won't move your way. Like, is anybody else living that life? I mean, there's a lot of times I have offered very strategic and detailed plans on how God could get this stuff done, right? Are you, are you with me? And I feel like Paul, when it came to the first letter to the Corinthians, because truthfully, 1 Corinthians is the second letter to the Corinthians, right? And it's like Paul wrote that first letter to the Corinthians and God sent it back and said, no, not getting in the Bible. And sometimes I feel like, God, look at these great plans that I've written. And God's like, mm-hmm, not going to use them. Like, good effort, good job, but not going to do it that way. <laughs> and then I thought about this one. I thought about this one. Um, that she had to say no to rejection. She had to say no to fear. Right? The angel said, don't be afraid. You know, and that was be afraid of the angel. But then she had to think about, okay, if I say yes to this, what, 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 what comes after it? Like, isn't that, isn't that kind of the way when God comes to us and says, hey, I want to use your life, isn't the first thing we think of is how it could go wrong or what other people could think, right? Or you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I can't tell you, I probably have, this is probably the one I get to say no to all the time trying to lead the church is fear. 
right? Because like, okay, you, you had a really successful Saturday evening service. No one else in your city has even been able to do that. A few churches have tried, and now you're going to stop that and move to four Sundays, which no one has ever tried. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, because what you hear is they're all going to laugh at you. They're going to laugh. You're going to be a failure every time. Like, you're going to build a building you don't have money for. You're just going to start building it with what you have. It's just going to, just going to launch out there. It, you know, you're probably going to fail, and everybody, you're going to have like a half-built building that everybody laughs at. You, know, you think I don't have an opportunity every day to say no to fear? You can't say yes to God without saying no to fear. You've got to say, you got to say yes, and you've got to say no, and you've got to pick which one. I'm going to say yes to fear and no to God. I'm going to say yes to God and no to fear. And Mary said, you know what? I'm going to say no to fear. I'm going to say yes to God. And I think that's what I want us to do is to always be the type of people saying, no matter what's going on, God, you know what? Every time you, you give us an opportunity, every time you send a word, every time you speak to us, there's an opportunity for fear. But we're just going to get ready now and say, no, uh-uh. talk to the hand because I'm not listening, saying no to fear, right? And then I thought about this. I thought about um, if I'm going to say yes, I have to recalibrate my will. Like if I say yes, I have to recalibrate my will. Um, you know, if you think about it, most of the time your will and God's will doesn't line up with each other. Right? Because we kind of have our plans and, the, right? And, and here's the thing. I can't really accept someone else's will unless I kind of change my will. If I don't alter it, if I don't recalibrate it. Right? I kind of have to, to line up. In fact, by the way, you don't feel bad about this. Jesus had a similar experience. He's in the garden praying, right? And he's like, hey, God, you know, good idea. Like, just a thought, maybe I wouldn't have to do this. Right? Just throwing it out there just in case. And God's like, nope, it's the way it's got to go. And Jesus said, you know, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I mean, wisdom is when we realize our will is always less than his. That's why Jesus said, nevertheless, my will is going to be less than your will, so I'm going to align my will with your will because my will is less, your will is best, right? And so, and so Jesus did the same thing. Um, you know, but, but here's what I want to talk about is it's re- realigning your will, not, not surrendering your will. And I think sometimes we miss the concept in church because they say, well, you have to surrender your will. And it almost sounds like we become jellyfish or something, you know, just, well, you know, I I don't know what a jellyfish is. But anyways, um, you know, it's like we, we just don't, don't have anything in the fight. Just like I become nothing and just sitting. No, but the truth is Jesus didn't surrender his will. He just recalibrated. He realigned it. He altered it. Right. Um, And, you know, um, psychologists, people who study this, actually talk about willpower. And the truth is God wants your willpower. I mean, God gave you a will, right? He doesn't want to get rid of something he gave you, right? He just wants you to redeem it, let him redeem it, and you use it. And, and um, psychologists actually say there are three parts to your willpower. Most of the time we focus on the negative. I won't, I won't power, I won't power, right? And so like if you're, if you're wanting to drop some LBSs, right, we focus on the don't eat small cakes, don't eat small cakes, don't eat small cakes, you know? I don't know if you've ever seen a small cake. They're, they're, they're little, like, they're like little gourmet cakes in the size of cupcakes. I mean, I, it's, some days I think baby angels, and some days I think Satan, it just depends on what kind of day I'm having. But, but if you're sitting here saying, hey, I want to drop some pounds, then most of the time we just focus on don't eat small cakes, don't eat small Like every time there's a, a staff birthday, we end up with small cakes in the office. You're killing me, Smalls. But anyways, um, but, 
but but it, you know it's but you know here's the thing but willpower actually has three there's kind of three dimensions there's the I will power I want power and I want power and you actually have to align all three of them right because the I will power says this is what I will do here's what my yes determines it determines what I will do the I want power says my yes determines what I won't do And the I want power says that my yes is going to be focused on long-term what I'm trying to accomplish. So I'm going to keep the vision. In other words, so I want is like, this is what I want. And because this is what I want, then my yes moves me this way. And my no keeps me from moving any other way, but that way. And that's really when it comes to Jesus, I think that's why we have to say, okay, God wants to use us. God wants to move through us. And so I'm going to keep saying, yes, I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend time. I'm going to hear him. I'm going to be in a life group. I'm going to be on a serve team. You know, I'm going to give. I'm going to continue moving toward him and letting him change me and transform me and redeem every part of my life. And no, I may not be able to go with that group of people, but yes, I can hang out with those people. Yes, I can do that. No, probably won't be able to participate in that, right? Because like the man, you remember the man in the pool of Bethesda who was on the porch, you know, the crazy thing, he was hanging out with sick people just like him. And as long as you want to hang out with sick people, you're going to stay sick. But if you want to get well, you got to find some well people to hang out with. So I may have to say no to them, but yes to them because they line up with where I want to go. (laughs) And here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. Um, I must believe the big picture. Right? I got to believe this is where I think Mary was at. She has to believe two things, really two things. If you're going to, if you're going to move in faith, the first thing is foundational. I have to believe God is who he says he is. Right? Because really, can I be honest with you? Faith doesn't come by believing God can do. Faith actually comes by believing in who God is. Let me help you with this. There are some people that if they said, hey, I'm going to come over this Saturday and help you clean your yard or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, you've said stuff like that before, and I know you're not going to show up, right? <clears throat> but there are some people, if they said that, you, you would make breakfast for them because you know they're going to be there. And so your faith about what they're going to do really isn't tied to what they're going to do. It's tied to who they are, right? Because faith is anchored actually in the person of God, not, not necessarily the power of God. <clears throat> are you with me? And so, so for Mary, first of all, I don't know what she believed about God. We know, I mean, she's a Jew. And so obviously probably had some understanding and teaching. I don't know. We don't have really her background and theology, et cetera. But she had to believe in what God, who he was. And then she had to believe, okay, if that's who he is, he, he will do what he says he's going to do. And so then she had to say yes, because she felt like God was saying Yes to her. Now, I know a lot of times you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, hey, I could probably believe if God would send an angel to my house for coffee. <laughs> right? Because that's, and that's sometimes what we do, like, okay, I know, I hear you. She had to have faith. But let's be honest. If an angel, the Gabriel, an archangel, now we're narrowing it down because there were only three and one of them's in hell, right? And so... <laughs> And so now we're down to two, (laughs) like out of all the angels, if an archangel showed up at my house for coffee or tea or Pop-Tarts, it doesn't matter. If he showed up at my house, started telling me how God wanted to move through me, I'd be like, oh, okay, yes, I can go along with that. But can I tell you what? God's actually sent you more than an angel. Um, 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verse 19, Paul's actually talking to the church of Corinth. Um, this is the second writing to the church of Corinth. We don't have the first one, but um, um, I'm sorry, this is 2 Corinthians, third writing. But, but um, this is, they, there's been some problems. I mean, the, the, the Corinthian church was a little bit messed up. I mean, they, they kind of got their eyes on the flashy uh, televangelists of that day. I'm not knocking televangelists. I'm just saying they kind of, they, they were, they were, the, the prosperous teachers and, and they kind of turn their back on Paul because he's a, a lowly tent maker and look at all these guys who are flashy and driving big cars and, and all that kind of stuff and then the, the church had a lot of problems with money and sex and all that so it was nothing like America um, <laughs> so anyway <laughs> and so Paul like he, he talks about this painful visit where he kind of went down to to help him and uh, explain the way of the Lord more perfectly. And, and, then, and then he's got, planning to come to them again. And he said, I'm going to like stop by on my way to Macedonia and then I'm going to come back by. I'm going to get to see you guys twice because now we're, we're flowing a little bit better, um, kind of reconciled some things. And then they kind of get upset again because they're like, well, Paul said, you know, he said he was coming and he didn't show up. And so Paul is actually writing them to say, look, my yes means yes. And my no means no. He's kind of talking about this, and he's like, your yes needs to mean yes. But then all of a sudden, he talks about God's yes. And so I want to put this in the context of, well, Mary had an angel. But, but what do we have? So 2 Corinthians 1, verse 19, For Jesus, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, look at this, our amen, which means yes, extends to God for his glory. So, hey, I wish God would send me an angel. I wish God would send me an angel. I wish God would send you an angel. But here's the thing, God has sent us his son. And what he's saying is in Jesus, it was God's yes. Yes, I will move in your life. Yes, I will save. Yes, I will transform. Yes, I will heal. Yes, I will deliver. Yes, I will prosper. Yes, there is hope. Yes, there is joy. Yes, I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask, think, or imagine because of my Holy Spirit who I've said yes to put inside of you. And so Paul's saying, guess what? Guess what? God has said yes and forever will be saying yes. Jesus is his one and only resounding yes. But then he says, you have to say amen. Like he says yes, but you got to say yes too. Like there is power behind Jesus. There is power in the promise. And God's like, hey, heaven is at the ready. Heaven has already said yes. Will you say yes? And so that's what I'm saying today, family. God's already said yes. He's already said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to touch the city. I'm going to use you to touch the nations. I'm going to use you to change the spiritual climate. We're going to get rid of Phariseeism and legalism and have people who are passionately in love with Jesus and just walking that out day to day. And we're going to touch people all over. The world. Some of you don't believe it, but I'm preaching right now. We're going to touch people all over the world. Are you with me? He's already said yes. Will we say yes? Well, we say yes to what he wants to do. And that's for me. That's what I want to do. I just want to say yes. Sometimes I just want to see where will yes take us? Because I know where no will take us. Could I've been to that church. I don't mean that in a bad way. I've just seen it. I've been a lot of places. I always want to say, well, where will yes take us?
And so that's today, that's, I think that's what God's saying. Hey, I've said yes. Will you say yes? I've said yes. Will you say amen? Jesus is God's eternal yes, but we have to say amen. We have to say yes too. We have to say, so be it. Let it be done, God. According, God, whatever you want to do in my life. God, whatever you want to do in our church. We're okay to be uncomfortable. We're going to say no to fear. It may be inconvenient. I don't know what it's going to look like. I probably won't be able to control it. But we're going to say yes. We're going to say yes and let God move us. Amen. That's why I love this church, because we're a yes church. That's why I love this church, because we're a yes church. Amen. Why don't you stand?